Hey folks, welcome to episode three of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability, the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode three of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Today, our guest is Joanna Good, and Joanna is the director of Facilitation Wellington Dufferin. And today, Joanna and I chat about independent facilitation, support circles, and the benefits of both independent facilitation and support circles. And we also talk about the investment and then the cost to to both of those. Uh, And we also really talk about building relationships as one of the big benefits of independent facilitation and support circles. Now, I do want everyone to know that Joanna and I know each other quite well, as Joanna is the facilitator for my sister and my sister's support circle. So excited to have this conversation with Joanna today, and here she is. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, my pleasure. How are things going for you today? We are doing great. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk to talk to people and share a little bit of information about independent facilitation. So yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. We are excited to have you on the show. So um, independent facilitation. If if I'm someone out there that that hasn't heard of it before, or maybe have heard of it, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Could you just give us a, a bit of a high level overview of of independent facilitation, Joanna? Absolutely. Yeah, independent facilitation is uh, a kind of support. It's often for people who have a label of developmental disability and their families and networks, but it's really something that can be helpful for people in a lot of different circumstances. And basically, um, when people work with an independent facilitator, they're getting help to think about what a good life looks like for them in their community. for some people, they already have a clear idea of what their goals are, um, a picture of how they can use their strengths and their interests to develop more relationships and to contribute to their community. And for other people, working with a facilitator is a way to get some clarity on that vision uh, and, to, and to create a picture of what that good life is going to look like for them. Fantastic. So independent facilitation is all about helping people to define the vision that they have for their life, their life, their dreams, their goals, and then start to implement those. So, so mm-hmm. I love that. And you mentioned that um, it's maybe if you can speak to your clients and the people that you've worked with, Joanna, um, majority uh, have some sort of developmental disability label. What types of other folks would benefit or have you seen benefit from independent facilitation? Well, because facilitation um, is really focused on uh, developing relationships and building on people's strengths and interests, and having a very individualized approach to to building that good life, it really can be of use, I mean, to, to anyone. Um, Facilitation Wellington Dufferin, the organization that I work for, we support uh, mostly adults or teens who are kind of getting ready for those adult years. 
Um, most of the people we support have a label of developmental disability, but a lot of folks also have some physical challenges that they're dealing with or um, some mental health struggles. We know uh, lots of people who um, are just having a hard time connecting and, and have found it useful to work with a facilitator. So that might be seniors or people struggling with dementia. It might be people who are new to a community and just aren't sure how to, how to reach out and, uh, and how to make those connections. Hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of different applications um, or situations that uh, people might be experiencing that would benefit from independent facilitation. Mm -hmm. And as you describe it, I can see some parallels to coaching. And uh, so coaching is something that um, that I do. And the the similarities being, um, you know, with coaching, sometimes we're helping people to to define that vision and, and bring it out in them. Um, how, I'm not sure how familiar you are, you are with coaching, but what might be some similarities and differences that that you see? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not as familiar with coaching as you are, obviously, but what comes to mind right away is a premise of meeting people where they're at and of taking our direction from them. So as a facilitator, as I believe it is with you as a coach, we're not connecting with people assuming that we've got the answers or that we know the direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But rather, we're investing in relationships with people and bringing what expertise we can as they clarify what that vision is for themselves. So I know with facilitation, often hosting conversations and and asking questions, um, supporting people to bring together the most important people in their lives to help them think through these things is really one of the the most important first steps. And it's together with that person and the facilitator or in your circumstance with the coach and that person who are together defining that, that vision of where do you want to go and, and what's it going to take to get there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And that's very, yeah, I think that's very different from other kinds of support that are a little bit more menu-driven, right, where, where um, people are uh, looking over a list of possible supports or services that they could access and trying to figure out where they might best fit as opposed to um, as opposed to them being able to drive the process around this is actually specifically what I'm looking for yeah yeah both with facilitation and coaching it's um, you're uh, following the client's agenda and mm-hmm. looking for solutions to help them achieve that they that they want to achieve and with coaching most of the time it's it's one on one and i think that's maybe where facilitation differs a little bit because you mentioned bringing in some people um, maybe the family unit or, or friend support can you talk to a little bit more about that when facilitation might be one on one versus bringing in um some loved ones or or people to support yeah, I mean, facilitation is very much focused on each individual person. So what the process looks like for anyone we're in touch with is very different and very, very personalized. Having said that, one of the core values of facilitation is the importance of relationship. So early on, 
uh, as we're getting to know people, not only is that person and their facilitator developing a relationship, but they're talking about who else, who are those other important people in your life that know you, that have stood by you over time, that might have some ideas or insights or resources to share. So often that is family and friends. It can be neighbors or colleagues or um, people from a faith community. Uh, Sometimes it's support people in their life. We really uh, try to encourage people to think about who else would they choose to be involved in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, We also know that people live in the context of their families, right? So um, to be with someone as they plan for their own life without taking into consideration those people whose lives um, are intimately connected with them is a little bit artificial. So while the person whose life it is is always directing the process, as facilitators, we're often helping to uh, to host conversations or to to mediate or to to bring to bring those other important people together in their life to be part of the conversation and 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 visioning yeah as I think about that, that makes a lot of sense, Joanna and when I think about how it um, fits in with my family, uh, you know my sister makes a decision to change something in her life, whether it 's to go to a, a day program or or not to go to a day program, um, or to stop going to a day program, uh, how that kind of trickles down and impacts other folks, um, other people in in my family. Um, so you're right, there is a lot of connectedness um, within families. And and a question that I have, Joanna, is how does a, uh, a support circle uh, tie into facilitation? Mm-hmm. Well, One of the things um, that I think is true about all of us is that most often when we're making big life decisions or even small life decisions, we're usually not doing that in isolation. So we're talking it over with our friends or our spouse or our our parents. We're maybe seeking out people who've been uh, in a similar position and, and trying to get their feedback or calling on a friend who knows more about that particular issue than we might. Uh, So for most of us, that process of planning and decision-making and figuring out who knows someone who can help me with this goal um, is pretty natural. For uh, some of the folks that we work with, we, um, we work with them to develop what we call a support circle. And a support circle is just a way of bringing a little bit more formality a little bit more structure to those ways we reach out and connect with people, all of us, naturally. Um, So support circles are usually made up of those champions in people's lives, those people who love them and care about them and support them over time that that person chooses to invite in. Mm -hmm. And support circles can meet... um, they meet with some regularity. What that regularity is often depends on the person. Uh, and it's a way for people to have um, a safe space for them to talk through some of these decisions that they want to make, some of the goals they're working towards. Um, they're a way of fostering those relationships to become stronger 
and also to make use of the insights and ideas and resources and connections that other people have to help someone move closer to their own goals. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a bit of a, a way for what we call supported decision-making. This idea that people have the right and the ability to make decisions in their own life. And like all of us, having support to do that can be really valuable. Right, right. And when I, you, you make a great point. We, a lot of us naturally just do that um, in our own lives. If I reflect on my life, uh, the term that I would use for that kind of support circle is an advisory board. So when I have a big decision to make, I'll look at, you know, who are the people that are trusted advisors and either I'll pick up the phone or we'll go for a coffee and and have a conversation about it. So a a circle just being a more formal uh, way to, um, to have those conversations. Does that, does that sound right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, a lot of the folks that, that, um, that I spend time with as a facilitator don't necessarily communicate in ways that, um, you know, where it's easy to have a conversation over the phone, for example. Uh, so particularly when that's a challenge for folks, being able to be in the same room face-to-face, being able to have the experience over time that this is actually a group of people who have my back, who... Um, are going to listen respectfully as I work these things through, who are going to share their ideas and insights and also honor my own decisions. That, um, that's a really powerful experience for a lot of people. Uh, and while it doesn't happen overnight, they're a bit of an investment. Um, it, it means that people uh, have that experience of being supported by a broader group of people who are committed to them as a person because they love them and care about them, not because it's a paid role or not because um, they're folks that are kind of flitting in and out of someone's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The added benefit of support circles is for exactly that reason, they can be a huge support to people's families, that, that this group of people who have made a commitment to someone and come together regularly uh, to help them think through some of these questions they're wrestling with um, means that families often feel less isolated. Uh, it feels less like it's mom and dad or mom and dad and siblings who are the only people um, carrying these questions with someone. You mentioned investment. I'd love to explore that a little bit. Um, so there's there's two sides to that. There's the cost and there's the benefit. So what would, from a cost perspective, um, would you be able to give uh, the listeners just a rough idea in terms of maybe the amount of time, the amount of money to get, uh, you know, to get involved, get a facilitator involved with the family and, and, and your loved one and maybe the, some of the time? I know it might vary, but just a general mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, well, and I'll maybe take a bit of creative liberty with your question because I think yeah, the, the financial investment is is definitely a very real thing that we want to address, and I'll certainly speak to that. When I think of support circles, there are other kinds of investments as well, um, partly in terms of, of time. It's also quite a courageous act <laughs> to start a support circle. Uh, so to think about inviting a group of people together 
to help us work through the areas where we're maybe feeling a little bit stuck or we're not sure of the path forward takes a lot of courage, both in terms of the person whose life it is and also in terms of the family. So often um, there is an investment in time and kind of emotional energy uh, a little bit of um, taking a deep breath and, and diving in uh, and having faith that people people want to be there and want to be of support and will be over time. The financial cost of that um, is mostly to do with having a facilitator there. Certainly some people have support circles that they move forward with without any um, paid facilitation. And that works really, really well for some people. My experience has been that there's value in having someone who has a good relationship with the person and with the family and is kind of in the know about what's going on, but is a little bit of a step removed, Um, someone who can carry the process a little bit more so that the person and the family can just focus on, uh, you know, being family and, and, and taking part in the conversations um, as they are without having to uh, invest a lot of mental energy in, in trying to keep the process going. Um, mm-hmm. We also know that uh, for people who are wanting to start their own circle, who are wanting to have support from these people that they care about to, to, to think about life in the future, uh, that process of directing things themselves isn't always isn't always comfortable. It hasn't always been their experience before. So part of the investment in a facilitator, in my experience, is that that person whose circle it is then has some one-on-one support that's truly focused on uh, helping them to build their capacity to lead their own circle. So that's another piece that that I find shifts a lot over time. Often when support circles are just starting, uh, the facilitator is taking on a little bit more of a lead role as the person whose circle it is kind of gets their feet under them a little bit more. Uh, And then that's able to shift really noticeably over time. So people are leading their own circles and and are are much more... um, really, really um, stepping up to that ownership of it, that the circle is a resource for them to plan their own life. Mm -hmm. And from my own experience with uh, support circles over the last 10 years or so, um, I've been involved in support circles that are led by a facilitator and not led by a a facilitator, and and both can definitely work. Um, However, I've seen a big benefit to a facilitator being involved in the early stages to help get it set up and to also share experiences that they bring in from other support circles that they've um, been a part of. Um, So not only to help with the structure and the setup of it, but also to bring in that experience, which is valuable. Um, And when I look at my own family, um, we decided to uh, bring in a facilitator to start Sarah's or support to help uh, Sarah and also uh, start the the support circle, um, which is yourself, which I'm super grateful for. Um, And the big benefit there is um, if there was someone else facilitating, especially to start, it probably would have been myself. And it wouldn't allow me to be the brother. It wouldn't allow me to play kind of that natural 
role that I do in the family. It, it would be me trying to wear exactly. a couple of different hats. And, um, and it's, for me, it's been just a great experience to be, be the brother and be part of that support network rather than trying to, to also facilitate. Exactly. And, you know, support circles, um, a challenge with support circles sometimes can be maintaining that feeling of safety and that, uh, that we need to create this space where everyone is holding both the responsibility to speak honestly and openly and also to listen respectfully um, and to honor what everyone else is bringing forward. And so when people are, when everyone is in there because of those close either family or friendship ties to the person whose circle it is, all of past experiences and history is, is also in the room. And I think having someone who's a little bit of a step apart uh, can be useful in helping to navigate that, right? To asking questions when... Um, when people make assumptions based on past experience, having a facilitator there who can, can hold a little bit of space to explore those assumptions in ways that don't necessarily happen if everyone is just kind of holding the same assumption because that's always how it's happened uh, in the family, for example. And, right. So helping the family to and the individual to explore new possibilities. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So. We explored the cost and, and a, a few of the benefits. Would you be able to share maybe a story or two from um, your experiences of um, the success or the benefits that uh, independent facilitation and um, maybe a circle has provided for an individual in a family? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, one of the young women that I've been I've been lucky enough to know for quite a few years, she and her family actually st- started her support circle when she was still in high school, um, which can be a really great time to start thinking proactively about about adult life. That's a a time of huge transition for most people, and particularly if you count on some paid support for your day to day. Um, for your day-to-day life, that can be a, a really huge transition uh, with a lot of different pieces to try to navigate. And so she and her family called together a support circle uh, before she graduated, knowing that they wanted to have things in place when she finished school that, uh, so that not everything was changing all at once. And her support circle, the membership has changed over the years, which often happens. Um, Her family has been uh, just really key in it. Um, She's had a number of family friends who've been involved over the years. She's had people who had been in paid support roles and have now stayed connected as friends. And also... um, age peers, so friends that she has met through school and through different community involvement who've, um, who've been part of her support circle. Uh, so what I think is really neat about her circle is how the focus has changed over the years. So when her circle first started, we were thinking a lot about what are her interests, what are her goals for life post-high school, 
and exploring the different ways that she could that she could that she could reach those goals for her that was a mix of learning opportunities and volunteer opportunities and paid work uh, as well as just some kind of social um social and recreational pieces and then over time while how she spends her time during the days, what are the things that she finds most meaningful and most valuable to fill her time is still important. There's other priorities that have also come up. So now a lot of her daytime focuses are, are kind of set. She's got some great stuff going on and uh, things that that are are that are things that she has decided are meaningful ways for her to spend her time. She's also been working lately on what would it take for her to spend overnights at home on her own, as an example. That's something that, that uh, when, her fir- when her circle first started, she was actually not really spending any time at home at all um, on her own. And now, uh, with the help of her circle, she's been having longer stretches at home on her own, including overnights where her support circle members have been there to offer check-ins and to um, that she knows she's got someone she can reach out to if she needs help when her parents aren't there. Uh, and that's part of a bigger focus that she and her family are thinking about right now, which is about, so what does life look like if I'm not living with mom and dad anymore? Uh, so this group of people, her support circle that's come together over time, has been able to take her lead and the lead of her family about what's first and foremost for you right now. What are the priorities that you're really thinking about? What's the next, what are the next goals that you're working towards and how can we be a part of that? Right. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like there was a, a really big benefit on starting that circle and, and, and facilitation prior or, you know, while this individual was still in high school to help with that post high school um, transition phase. And then also now starting to think about the next chapter in the, in the family's journey and what does it look like to live independently of, of my parents. Um, and it sounds like there's been, um, the circle has been pretty involved with, with supporting, um, in the transition of that you mentioned with, uh, you know, staying somewhere else, uh, other than with the parents and, and doing check-ins and things like that. What are some of the other ways that, um, you've seen, uh, circle members get involved in, and either take action or, or support, um, an individual? When I think about, again, to this young woman, uh, one of the areas where her support circle has been really helpful for her has been around employment. Um, So having paid work is something that's really important to her. And at the same time, she's not looking for a a 40-hour-a-week kind of job um, that she prefers to have uh, a fewer number of paid hours, but where she can do something that's really meaningful, that she can do well and independently, um, and really make a do real work, right? Something that that is valued and is needed. So a number of her work experiences have come out of the circle, where as a group we've been thinking through with her what are those skills that you have, what are the strengths, what kind of environment could you see yourself working in, and then people within the circle would say, hey, I, I actually know a place where that might be needed, and and have been able to make the connection. 
Um, the other piece that, uh, that her support circle has really helped with is around the social and relationship piece. So uh, our lives get really busy, and even people that we are really close with and we care about, we often don't get to see as much as we would like. So having her circle that comes together with some regularity has been uh, a way for those relationships to strengthen and to grow um, and for people to discover shared interests that they can use as a way of connection. So an example um, of that might be she's been thinking recently about um, developing more cooking skills. What are the what are the things that she can um, recipes that she can practice making at home that are delicious and nutritious, and that she can uh, put together on her own, both for herself and as a contribution to the family. Uh, and so, in talking to her circle about that, a number of people stepped forward and said, "Hey, I would I would love to." get together and try some new recipes together? Or what would you think about getting together and making some meals ahead of time that we could put in the freezer? So out of this interest that she had, a goal that she had to develop more cooking skills um, in her circle, she was able to identify other people who were interested in the same sort of thing. And from there, then events came out. So she's, she's had... Uh, different times where friends from her circle have come over to cook together, where they've tried new recipes, whether where they've they've um, worked on developing those skills together in a way that strengthens the relationship as well. Right, right, yeah. So uh, a big benefit of circles being strengthened and strengthen relationships and new relationships through making mm-hmm. the circle making connections, um, and in this case, supporting with employment through those connections, which is amazing, and um, and deepening connections through participating in activities together like cooking. So that's fantastic. Um, uh, Joanna, I've heard a couple of other terms similar to the concept of a circle um, out there, such as um, uh, microboards. So what is, what are the, maybe, are they the same thing or is there slight differences between a circle and a microboard? Yeah, well, I mean, people often talk about support circles or friendship circles or circles of support are um, all kind of interchangeably. Okay. Uh, and they all refer to, to pretty much the same thing. There is something called a microboard, um, which I'm certainly not the expert on, um, but microboards are a way of formalizing in a legal sense a support circle. So as I understand them, a microboard is a legally recognized tool for supported decision-making. Uh, that if I have a microboard... Um, those are people that I have chosen who can, with legal backing, make decisions with me. Uh, at times when I, as an individual, might not have that legal capacity. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's good just to have that understanding of the slight differences between the two. Um, yeah. So thanks for sharing that. So if I am an individual uh, listening to this podcast uh, or a family member or someone close to a family that says, hey, this might work for um, someone I love or it might work for me, um, what's the best way to get started? Like, where do you start with this type of thing? Well, I think that the best starting place is always to um, 
to do a little bit of research on facilitation or ideally to speak with a facilitator. Uh, so there are a number of independent facilitation organizations across the province. There is also a community of practice on a provincial level called the Ontario Independent Facilitation Network. Uh, and that is a great resource for uh, information about facilitation, um, for direction around connecting with a local facilitator, um, for information about upcoming events related to facilitation and, and sharing information. So I think that that is, a, is always a really great starting place. Mm-hmm. If, okay. you are living in a, if you are living in a community uh, where, uh, where facilitation exists, where there are facilitators working, um, being able to connect with other families who have worked with those facilitators I think is really valuable. Um, because that experience of what is it actually like to have a support circle, what's it actually like to work with a facilitator, although it's different from person to person, there are certain common values that guide the work, uh, and getting uh, information from other families about what their experience has been like, I think can be really can be really helpful. Okay, fantastic. That that's helpful knowing um, where I can where someone can start to look. Um, so, Joanna, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and, and talking independent facilitation and, and circles and uh, the benefits to them and, and how to get them up and running. Now, if someone would like to connect with you or they would like to cl- uh, connect with facilitation at Wellington Dufferin, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably the easiest way is to check out our website, which is facilitationwd.com. And there's lots of information there about who we are and what we do, uh, and also phone numbers if that's an easier way for you to connect. We also have a mailing list on um, that's linked on the website, and it's a great way to get regular information shared with you about upcoming events, uh, about resources or other things that we think might be useful. Okay. So those are probably places to start. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Okay, right on. So folks, check out facilitationwd.com to learn more about Joanna and her great organization, the great work that they're doing. And Joanna, it's very grateful for you to come on the podcast today and, and share uh, what you do with facilitation and the benefits that uh, facilitation in circles are providing for families. And I'm super grateful for all the work that you've done with my family and uh, super excited to continue down this journey uh, with you. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Eric. Thanks so much. Okay. Talk soon, Joanna. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening to the podcast today with Joanna Good. Hope you got a lot of value learning more about independent facilitation, support circles, and the benefits that they provide individuals impacted by disability, and also the benefits to the family. Um, And me personally, it's definitely uh, impacted my family and really helped my my sister and my family to build more relationships. And it's really expanded my sister's network. A comment from my directly from my mom uh, around having a support circle is that she doesn't feel alone and she's more supported as well. And I know my sister for sure loves it. She gets excited every time we have a circle meeting. So I'm a huge advocate of support circles and. Um, 
If you want to chat more about support circles, join the conversation on Facebook. You can find us at Empowering Ability. Just search Empowering Ability on Facebook, and we'd be happy to uh, continue the conversation with you there. Uh, Join us for episode four of the Empowering Ability podcast with Laura McKean from Cohen Hiley LLP Lawyers. And uh, Laura is a lawyer. She's a partner at the firm. And Laura and I chat about the myths of employment uh, when it comes to hiring and employing uh, an individual with a disability. Uh, we talk about what employers are looking for when uh, hiring someone with a, a disability. And we also talk about uh, how to best present yourself to potential employers. So we're really looking forward to that conversation with Laura and hope you join us. And thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.